The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Jacob asked me to talk this morning uh, in your series on 1 Corinthians about uh, a particular topic. Uh, the text will be our, um, will be our, our roadmap, uh, and that topic is spiritual gifts, and in particular, uh, the gift of New Testament prophecy. Uh, New Testament prophecy. Uh, I'm going to explain what that gift is using the scripture that Paul has given us, uh, not only by addressing its purpose, but um, answer some essential questions that people have when they hear about this or read about it in a passage like 1 Corinthians 14, uh, and then provide, I hope, some practical pointers uh, in that we are to earnestly desire this gift? Are there some practical ways we can step into it, even if it's something new? Or for those of us that are, it's not new, we can be stirred up uh, to and engage it in fresh ways um, and, um, and then address some of the problems and challenges that churches face as they uh, exercise this gift. Let me begin, uh, before we read the scripture, uh, which in just a moment I'm going to read, by sharing an impression I had as Bill uh, was uh, leading us in singing. Uh, is it Caitlin? Is that who sang? Uh, as you were singing, uh, and I was worshiping Jesus with you, um, I had a distinct, somewhat an interruption in my uh, singing uh, due to the, I could hear your voice distinctly, and there was a poignancy to it. And with it, it brought a sense of God's presence. And I felt for one or two of you today uh, that there may be in your life uh, a deep-seated disappointment. There, you've experienced loss. Uh, I know in our congregation, we have, uh, we're recovering from a woman who um, uh, recently, their second daughter was stillborn. Uh, and four months after the fact, uh, she's still grieving. Um, while she cares for her two-year-old, um, who was not. Uh, there's been uh, relational disappointments and losses. Uh, there's been deaths of parents due to age and uh, just the reality of growing old in a fallen world. And sometimes when we experience those losses, there is a, a, not only an uncertainty that comes through the fear of that loss, but there's a deep-seated anger that nobody knows about. Uh, it's first an anger towards God, and then it's an anger towards whatever is your scratching post, your choice. It's in that area that we need to hear God's voice. It's in that deeper area that God wants to speak to free us. The loss isn't going to change. But the anger and the uncertainty and the fear that binds us, we can walk free from that. But we need to hear from God. I felt as you were singing, God was saying to me and perhaps to one or two of us that today is the day you're going to hear God's voice in a deeper way and you desperately need it because you're bound up in that way. And only Jesus can set the captive free. That's the claim of the gospel. That's the claim of the scripture. That's the good news. We're not just doing religion, that the presence of God through the name and person and word and work of Jesus is here 
to glorify his grace. So I hope that builds your expectation. Jacob will lead in that ministry time as we pray for those people. And uh, let's look at God's word and then I'll pray. 1 Corinthians 14, this is God's word. May God give each of us the ability to give our full attention to it. I'm going to read the first six verses of chapter 14, then drop down to verse 23, read to the end of the chapter. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together, that's us, and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion. Verse 39, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. This concludes the reading of our scripture today. May God be glorified as we respond to it. We're focusing this morning on the topic of spiritual gifts, and in particular, the spiritual gift Paul identifies as prophecy. We just read the phrase in verse 39, didn't we, that we are to all earnestly desire to prophesy. It's a command. It's in the imperative, in the original language of the New Testament. Paul is saying to King's Cross Church, Paul is saying to Christians everywhere, Paul is saying to Bauer Evans this morning, be zealous to do what? 
to prophesy. So to put it in language you're familiar with, because you're well shepherded by Jacob, he likes to ask very good questions. And I wrote this down last night uh, as we were enjoying some uh, fellowship together. What does it mean to follow Jesus into our missional communities? What does it mean to follow Jesus into our neighborhoods? What does it mean to follow Jesus into our schools? I also work at a public school. A number of you are in school. What does it mean to follow Jesus into our workplaces? What does it mean to follow Jesus in this world of ours? Paul would say, by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, we follow Jesus. And in this particular instance, we earnestly desire to prophesy. So if we're going to obey this command and therefore glorify God and receive the blessing that comes as we submit to his word in order to glorify God, we have to answer four questions and they all have kind of have the letter P in them. We have to know what prophecy is. We want to define it. And in doing so, we want to answer the question, what is the purpose of this spiritual gift that Paul speaks of? So P, prophecy, what is it? What's its purpose, P? Um, what problems are often associated with it by people who seek to earnestly desire and practice it? So I'll share one of my blunders in stepping out in this gift. And then some practical pointers to grow in it. I think that's five Ps, but that's all right. So let's answer the first question. What is prophecy? And I'm going to give you two definitions, one by Wayne Grudem, who's a New Testament scholar who, in uh, earning his uh, doctorate, uh, did his dissertation on this spiritual gift. Can you imagine a 400-page paper on one gift in the New Testament in a book he calls uh, uh, what is the, New the Gift of Prophecy in the New Testament Day? He says that the New Testament gift of prophecy, listen, is telling someone something God has spontaneously brought to your mind. I'm going to say that again. He defines New Testament prophecy based on passages like this as telling someone something God has spontaneously brought to your mind. That's what I did when I began this message. I told you something God spontaneously brought to my mind as I listened to Caitlin singing. I like to describe it as it's an imperfect report of something God has told me to tell you. Because in some way, because it's me and because it's you, even if God is giving you something to say, we tend to gunk it up. We tend to say too much or not enough. We tend to add our little. And so that's where the problem comes in. Nonetheless, Paul commands that we earnestly desire it so that we would spontaneously tell someone something that God has given us to say. That's New Testament prophecy. So there must be, even with the gunkiness of it, and the potential of saying too much or not enough or getting it wrong or saying it in the wrong way, there must be some blessing that's associated with it. And do you know what it is? We read it. 
The part that is from God, when it is from God, speaks to the heart of someone in a way that they say, God is present. How did you know that? Who told you that? Why would you say that? I was just thinking about that. I have a daughter. I have permission to share these illustrations. So as a parent, I don't feel I need permission to share all their illustrations since I had to endure raising them uh, into their adult years. But I do have permission to share this. She was a new believer, brand new believer, less than, less than a year of walking with Christ, although she was raised in a Christian home. And she made a decision, which at the time Linda and I weren't aware of, she gave her heart to a young man who purported to be a Christian, but had no intent of really caring for her. And she really loved this guy. All of a sudden, we saw pictures up on the wall. He was a good-looking dude. Uh, seemed to be a Christian with some Christian character. Um, was nice to her, I think nice in ways that perhaps she misinterpreted and, and maybe nice in ways, not that any guy would do this in this room, but I did it sometimes, sadly, and I had to repent of it. Nice in ways that were, I think, suggesting he was more interested in her than she. My daughter's beautiful, she's smart, but she gave her heart to this man. And when the relationship ended, and it ended abruptly, she spiraled downward. I mean in ways that we were unprepared for. She stopped eating. She started having nightmares where voices or thoughts came in her head about life is no longer worth living. I, I remember her, I mean, I, it brings tears to me. I remember her standing over the bed. And I, when I fall asleep, it takes a lot, Bill, to wake me up. She was standing over my bed. I was asleep screaming at me angry. I thought, I mean, she couldn't take me, but when you're asleep, she could do some bodily harm <laughs> that we didn't understand how devastating this relationship ending was. We got counseling. We also saw a, uh, now a Christian counselor, we saw a, I believe it was a psychiatrist to help us with some of the diet issues. We were, for two years, we weren't sure if we were coming out of this ditch. And then God began to speak. He now he spoke to her through his word. There were a group of ladies that went to bat and started praying for my little Brittany every day. Imagine having Michelle pray for you every day, prayers like that. But they weren't praying like we're of prayers of wisdom. They're saying, God do something, rescue this young lady. And God did. It was not dramatic. It was gradual. It was, she climbed out of that ditch slowly. There were steps and change and disclosures and, and transparency she needed to grow in. There was counsel she had to receive. There was accountability she had to pursue. But as she came out of what could have been not only the death of her faith, but the death of her life. Do you know what God began to do? He not only gave her ears to hear his voice tell her how much he loved her, he began to give her words to tell other people how much he loved them too. So she's walking in the cul-de-sac one day, and she's just reflecting on the Bible. And she gets something to say to another little girl that's depressed and suicidal 
in her little homeschool co-op. And she goes to her that day and says, I don't know why, but I was praying, and God told me to tell you this. And she read the scripture, and the girl burst in tears. And the girl said, how did you know that? Well, what do you say in that moment, Jay? Jesus told me. He did. That's the gift of prophecy. She didn't predict the future. She didn't say pick six, eight, nine, and you'll win the lottery. She didn't tell her to go by. She got a word from God and shared it spontaneously, imperfectly, but because it was God, it brought hope to her friend in the same way that she received words from those women as they prayed for her when she didn't feel life was. Which brings us really to the purpose of prophecy, which, which Paul tells us. He, he identifies for it, and it's the second P. In verse 3, he says that New Testament prophetic speech, when uttered, speaks to people, I love that, for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Do you see that in your Bibles? That's how you determine it's from God and it's prophetic speech. It builds people up. It imparts courage. One translation uh, uses the word exhortation. It exhorts, meaning it, it stirs up faith, and it brings comfort. It brings consolation. And that's why Paul concludes that the one who prophesies, verse 5, is greater than the one who speaks in tongues because the whole church is built up as this gift begins to flourish. So what is the purpose of prophecy? If prophecy is this impromptu report of something God has said, imperfectly delivered, spoken to another person or to a group of people, the purpose of prophecy is God intends to strengthen his church, to build up his church, to console his church, to exhort his church out of his great and unending love for his church. Ephesians 4.29 speaks of the words that come out of our mouths. When Paul writes, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Prophetic speech like words we speak to encourage another soul, is, is gracious speech, meaning it builds up, it doesn't tear down, it consoles, it doesn't dismiss pain, it exhorts, it challenges, it, it, it imparts faith that God may be glorified and his church may be built up. Um. I don't know where you would be at this morning. I know where I'm at this morning, and I'm on the payroll to speak. I want to hear God speak through his word, his authoritative, inscripturated, free from error word. But I also want to hear God speak personally into the deeper parts of my soul. And here's what this passage teaches me. He will use others to do it. That's his purpose. He will use others to speak prophetically, words of prophetic speech, to build the church up. So God has something for you and I to do today. As crazy as this may sound to some of you, 
He wants to use your words to speak life to others through the exercise of this gift. That's why he commands us to earnestly desire this gift. When we get to the practical pointers, we'll talk about how to begin to step out to it. So we've answered what it is, and we've answered the purpose. Now, let's answer, address the question of the problem, the problem of prophecy. Uh, the problem of prophecy uh, I think cuts two ways, and I have a story to share. As we join Jesus in his mission to build up his church, and we include in that prophetic speech, the problem of prophecy is this. Because it is an imperfect gift, meaning not everything we say may be what God intended to say, is that we can tend to become negative or cynical about the gift or confuse the gift with the infallible words of God, which is his ultimate speech gift to us. So let's address the first, second problem first. How do we address the second problem of confusing prophetic speech with God's word? Well. When I had that sense, I went over to Jacob, here's my illustration, and I shared, this is what I'm sensing. And he's putting on his filter, does what I sense, is it submitted to scripture, and does it build up and encourage and console King's cross? And he goes, check, yes. Bauer's not getting up there and saying Jesus had green hair. It's not in scripture. And check, yes. He's not saying anything. Jesus loves us and check, yes, it's building up the church. That works. That fits. So this word, this, this authoritative word, prophetic speech is always submitted under and tested by and sifted through. And so if you're like me and you're street smart, keep your prophetic words brief. Keep it brief. Share the gist. Communicate the heart, because the longer you go, the more we got to open this up and say, does what you say really comport with the Bible? We had a regional leader that was caring for us uh, several years ago. His name's Tim. He was standing, ministering, and I had this sense, and I shared it with him after the meeting, and he had a headache, and he said, could you write it down, because I have a headache, and I can't receive it right now. I thought it was an encouraging word, and I was feeling like I need I will, and I took a week. And by the time he got it a week later, it was like a seven-page book. I mean, literally, it was like with drawings and color schemes and uh, theme music. It was a movie. And because he's a, he's a generous man, he took that and he wound up sharing it with Jacob and every other pastor in the region on his regional report. And I was like, Something in what I wrote was probably the Lord, but there was a lot of embellishment. It was sort of like the Quentin Tarantino of prophetic words. You know, I just went off. And, and I wasn't winning an Oscar for what I wrote. I got a couple of, uh, let's just say, um, you know, pastors can be snarky sometimes. I got some snarky feedback from some friends like, hey, thanks for the seven-page word of encouragement, um, and basically, what they were humoring me with was, was this really all from God, or like, what was this? 
when you have a sense for somebody, the first step is to see, does what I sense, what's what God want me to say, is it, is it submitted to the word? Does it affirm what the word says? It doesn't take the place of the word. It's tested by the word. But then secondly, because it's an imperfect report, we need to be releasing of those people that step out in faith and not hold them to such a standard that either we discourage prophetic speech or we dismiss it altogether. We want to inspect God. You want to encourage me today. I want to hear what you have to say. So although this person's speaking, it won't be perfect. There may be flaws. The heart of this, you love me. Amen? So we need both if this gift is going to flourish. That's the problem. Here's some practical pointers. And then, uh, Jacob, I think I'm going to return it to you. Oh, one more. One reason this gift is important is because it reminds us of the gospel and what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection. Flip over to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. I just want to point something out to you. And then we'll do practical pointers. Acts chapter 2. We're going through the book of Acts as a congregation. It's been an exhilarating journey for us. Acts chapter 2, if you're familiar with this story, this true story, Luke is recounting what took place in the early church amongst the disciples following the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and gives a sermon to explain when the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven upon those gathered in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And he quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel in verse 17. And Peter says, to explain what people are hearing and seeing on the day of Pentecost, it says, and in the last days, God declares... I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And note this, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. In other words... Christ who has died, Christ who is now risen, Christ who is ascendant and has now sent the Spirit upon the church, fulfilling this new covenant promise, is giving his people the ability to speak prophetically. The gospel, which we celebrate and will receive in symbol form through communion, one of the promises the gospel gives to God's people is this, that you and I can be used by God. Men and women can be used by God. We can dream dreams by the Spirit. We can see visions by the Spirit. And we can speak prophetically by the Spirit because Jesus died to fulfill that new covenant promise. Isn't that good news? Which begs the question, Why is this gift so important? Why is Paul making sure this gift is front and center for the Corinthians? Why does he encourage them in this passage and us to earnestly desire this spiritual gift? 
because he wants the Corinthians, as God wants King's Cross, to know and experience that God is present among us through the words that we speak to one another, that the blessing of his nearness comes through the prophetic speech we share with others. He spoke of it even in the case of the non-believer at the end of our passage in 1 Corinthians 14, if you want to turn back there. He said that if a non-believer were to come to King's Cross Church and to hear you prophesying, meaning speaking those things that God has given you to speak, albeit imperfectly, but nonetheless spontaneously revealed by God, that the secrets of his heart are disclosed and he will fall down on his face, verse 25, and worship God and declare that God is among you. I was applying to law school. I was newly married. I had a master's and was having to make a decision between going to law school, pursuing another graduate degree. I thought I wanted to be a college professor. I was a, I was a school teacher at the time, newly married to my beautiful bride, Linda, or I don't know what the third option was. I'm in a meeting like this, and we've got a guy in at Covenant Fellowship Church that's ministering to life group leaders, missional group leaders, small group leaders, worship team leaders, and he had the gift of New Testament prophecy. And he's walking around the room like this, and he's old like me, and he's tired, he's been going strong. And, Brother, blessings, good to see you. And he's been teaching for a while. And he comes up to me at the end of the meeting, puts his hand on me, and he stops. And he looks right at my pastor and says, hey, we're sitting in the back. I'm, I'm in the cheap seats. I'm not a ministry team leader. I got graduate school in my mind. I call like I see it. This man's an elder in the house of God. And the guy in front of me, whose name's Andy Farmer, nobody knew this. He had been thinking about being an elder for like two years in that church, but it was a big secret. Nobody knew. He like jumped because he thought the secret was out. And he looked around. He was like, Bauer? <laughs> and uh, his name was Laddie. And Laddie, this man has government in his heart. God is calling this man to serve a church governmentally. Now, I taught government, so I was like, oh, I'm going to read them the Constitution? What, what, what are you talking about? And he went on, and he went on. What he didn't know, nor did my pastors know, is that when I graduated from college, my pastor, Randy Welsh, who was a church planner, said, I don't know why I've been discipling you for two years, but I think you're called to be a pastor. I was like, a pastor? You're poor, you're too busy, and I don't want to speak in front of people. A pastor. Now, I don't want, I've been praying for you. I've discipled you only because I just want you to survive as a Christian in this world, but I just sent your call to be pastor. It was like he was planting a seed, and I thought, Randy, you are cracked. And then Laddie prayed over me three years later, and so I went to my pastor, and I said, what was that? What was that? He goes, I don't know, but nobody got a word in two days of ministry like that. We need to talk. And Linda's looking at me like, we do not need to talk. You are not doing this. That was one of those over my dead body moments. Are we going to go into pastoral ministry? And as we began to talk with the pastors, they didn't say, oh, that was the Lord. They said, you know, can we 
together? Can we start to pray to God together? Can we start to maybe put you in a discipleship group? We had you in this discipleship group, but maybe we put you with a pastor and just explore to scare. Would you pray about that? Would you be even interested in that? Maybe you think just Laddie's often. But what he didn't realize is when Laddie was praying for me, there was something coming alive in me that made law school lose some of its glimmer and made going to graduate school at Rutgers not have quite as much appeal if I was going to go to teaching college someday. And all of a sudden, I was like, I encountered the presence of God. I need to find out more what that was. It's not a promise. They weren't signing a contract, but it was an event with God. Friends, we have the ability to be God's spokespersons, not just in epic ways, but in everyday ways that bring encouragement and impart faith and release burdens because God is present and wants to love his people and through prophetic speech and the faith that attends it, minister to our hearts. We all, if you're a Christian, if you're dwelt by the Spirit, if you have been born anew by the word of the gospel, we all have a longing to hear from God. The good news is he is promising to satisfy that longing through this thing called prophetic speech. So practical pointers, and I'm wrapping up here, Jacob. Five ways to get started in this gift, to practice this gift. Uh, and this is my last P. I pray. Five pointers. Uh, Do you earnestly desire it? That's the command. And if you don't earnestly desire, beginning with pastors, but working through worship leaders and missional groups, if we don't earnestly desire, then we're disobeying a command of Scripture, and we need to simply repent and confess, Lord, I don't earnestly desire this gift. I repent. I turn to you. Forgive me. Now, increase my desire because we all live out of those desires. Increase my desire. And then we need to not only desire as we ask, we need to pray. This meeting was prayed over by your friends at Crossway because they knew we were talking about this topic. Prophecy thrives in an environment of persistent prayer. Not the prayer we squeeze in like salt we add to a meal, but the prayer that is more a part of our daily rhythm where we say, God, speak. Use me to encourage. I want to hear your voice today. Use me to bring that impromptu report to another. So we desire, we ask, we pray, then we listen. While you were leading us in song there, Caitlin, I was listening. I was trying to sing the song, but I was aware of God speaking, so I started to listen. I stopped, and I just listened and said, what is this? I didn't hear an audible voice, but I just had a sense. I could feel it. I knew it, and I've been doing this for a while. I go, this is the Holy Spirit. He's giving me a burden, a desire, a a theme, a picture that I think is for another person, that person who's disappointed and has suffered loss, and there's a deep-seated anger over that loss, and fueled by fear of uncertainty, God wants to speak to that person, perhaps for the first time, and bring them to Jesus. And then I discern. So I go from asking and desiring and praying and listening to discern, should this be reported? Is it clear enough to share? I go to Jacob and say, I'm sensing this. Is this edifying? Will this build people up or confuse people? And then lastly, the hardest step of all, I open my mouth and I share it. I share it. Hey, I just sense today God wanted to encourage you. 
here's what he put in my heart. Ladies at Crossway Church, the women at our church, they are running laps around the guys on this one. They don't always call it prophecy, but they come ready to share. Guys, we're trying to fan it. We're trying to, I don't know what it is, too much coffee. I don't know what it is, but we're trying to fan it. It's not a gender thing, but I think, ladies, if I can make a generalization, I think sometimes you are an example to me. We're better at not only listening to what God is saying, but we're also better at listening to the heart of the person we're saying it to. And so God gives us these words of encouragement to share. Let me encourage you, ladies, may this church over the next year to be marked by discernible evidence that not only God is present, but God is speaking to the needs of his people. End with this. You're probably all aware of the, uh, the famous story. Um, I believe his name was... Uh, uh, it was portrayed by James Franco in a uh, movie, um, Anson... Lost my notes here. Um, Anse, uh, Anson Ralston, the hiker, who um, was hiking one day somewhere in, I think, Montana or in a part of our country that's very arid. And uh, he's a great hiker. And he, while he was hiking down this ravine, he got pinned between um, a boulder and uh, the ravine, and he got stuck. And uh, he was really stuck, and his cell phone didn't work, or he couldn't communicate. Nobody actually knew he was there. Apparently, um, his water began to run out. I believe he was there for two days. His, hung his food began to run out. He knew he was dying. He was stuck. And with, with the loss of uh, water and food, his will to live began to diminish. There's a great interview on Dateline. You can watch it at six minutes long. Tom Brokaw and um, Anson returned to the place where it happened. And Anson shares the dream. At the point where I was running out of hope, at the point where I had no reason to live, I knew I was going to die. I was stuck. I couldn't move. I had a dream. I had a vision of a little boy running around with a little red shirt on. And I saw that, and I knew I needed to live. That would be my son. That's what he says. And so he did what I don't think I would do, Jacob. He took out his pocket knife and he cut his arm off and then he tourniqueted himself and he dragged himself out of that ravine after lowering himself six stories and a helicopter found him and the rest is history. He got married two or three years later. He's got a little boy now in a red shirt running around and he credits that moment with that. I can't explain that. But I can explain this. There are lots of Christians, both in King's Cross and Crossway, that get stuck. And they need to hear from God in that moment. Maybe not a vision like that, but they need to hear an impromptu, imperfect report that says, God is here. God cares. God has what I need. And enable us to then, by his spirit, with the help of others perhaps, unstick whatever is stuck the deep-seated anger, the fear, you fill in the blank. And through the empowerment of the Spirit, begin to walk anew. When we do that here, it begins to spill out there. 
so that the writer of this passage says, when the unbeliever comes here, they hear the secrets of their heart being disclosed, and they say, God is in this place. He is in this place. His name is Jesus. Friends, we join Jesus in his mission to build up the church when we prophesy. So may God, by his grace, through the empowerment of the Spirit, enable each of us to eagerly desire that we would prophesy today. To God be the glory, to us be the joy. Holy Spirit, move among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.